Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. For those of you maybe are newer to our church, we value families worshiping together. We value full participation in the church family. And, you know, uh, a lot of uh, churches over the years, um, uh, as we adopted kind of a church is program model, um, began to do what we do in the world, which is families walk through the door, parents go one way, kids go another way, kids eventually graduate from school, and they've never actually worshiped together in a church setting. And then we wonder why um, the next generation doesn't engage with the life of the church. And so we do this intentionally. Um, it may be a little challenge if you've got squirmy kids. I get it, um, which is why we have activity um, packs back there. I've got four kids uh, myself, so I understand. Um, but we also think that it's important. It's important for kids to see you worshiping, you engaged with God's word as well. Um, so this morning, we're going to be finishing uh, a long walk through the Gospel of Mark. And some of you that have been with us, you're thinking, how are we finishing? Because we're only in chapter 13. Um, there is uh, four more chapters to go. Um, so let me just explain. We've been walking chunk by chunk, verse by verse, through, through the Gospel of Mark. And today we're ending right before basically what's called the Passion Starts, where Jesus is turned over to the authorities where um, those final moments of his life leading up to the cross and then through to the resurrection happen. We're going we're gonna to stop as a church right there, and then we're going to resume that journey, Jesus' journey, uh, next in 2023, next spring, during Easter, our Easter season. So if you're wondering, that's why. Um, one of the things we're going to be doing starting in just a few weeks is we're uh, our, our Sunday gatherings, the, the, the teaching of the Sunday gatherings, is going to really be driven by you, our church family. Um, some of you have heard this already, but I'm going to say it again. Um, we're asking you to submit questions uh, about what we believe, why we believe what we believe, um, and then we're going to turn that essentially into a Sunday t- teaching series. So, uh, for an example, one, one question I got last week um, was, what about tattoos? What about tattoos, right? And so some of you grew up in a church where, uh, you know, there was particular teaching on that. So what, is, what about our church? What do we believe about tattoos? I have been here f- over five years. Nobody's ever asked me that question. <laughs> so if you want to find out the answer you know, in, a, in a few weeks, we'll be talking about that. Uh, others have asked questions about doctrine, about what is the church, what does discipleship look like. Um, we won't be naming you when we talk about those, so you can rest, uh, rest on that. In fact, you can, you can submit those questions anonymously. That's fine as well. Use it, connection card, email. We've got a form on our website as well. So we just want to let you know about that. The, the, the more questions come, I think the more fun we'll have as a church wrestling with God's word together. Okay, so this, this Sunday, I, want, I just want to open with a question for you. If, if you could know your future, your future, if you could know it now, would you want to? Now, when I was a kid, the answer was, of course, of course I want to know what my future was. When I was really young, we used to have Coast Guard helicopters flying over our house all the time. And I remember uh, my mom told me some, some years later, she said, one time you, you came in the house and you're really excited and you said, Mama, Mama, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a Coast Guard helicopter pilot. <laughs> I meant Coast Guard. 
You know, and so that was my dream as a, you know, four or five-year-old was to fly a, one of those cool white and orange helicopters that flew over. So, so some of you now, you're old enough that you don't want to know your future because it's not very far off, right? <laughs> uh, but some of you that are younger, you're like, oh, I would love to know what I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. Are my wildest dreams going to come true? Uh, why do we want to know those things or not know those things? When I was a kid, I, I think I wanted to just know. I just wanted to know. We're wired that way, right? Like, we, we just want to know what's going to happen. And we want to have all the information we can. Some of us might want to know the future so that we can prepare for it. Okay, if, if, if my destiny, my career, my, my family, whatever it would be, if it's going to look like this, I want to prepare for that now. And many of us, we want to know the future just so we can have peace in the present. So we can just be, but the reality is, is sometimes the future doesn't bring what we hope it's going to bring, right? The future actually is going to bring more hardship than joy. So why do we want to know? There's this human question about what will happen in the end. Our movies are oriented around that. You know, the, some of the most top-selling movies are these kind of apocalyptic movies, what the, the world in the, in the future is going to look like, science fiction movies. The world wants to know, we want to know, what is going to happen in the future. This morning, we're going to look at the last recorded teaching in Mark's gospel. It's Mark chapter 13. And this particular uh, chapter, this teaching of Jesus, is honestly uh, one of the weirdest and one of the most difficult to understand. Uh, it's got this mix of styles all together. As Jesus is, is uh, teaching really uh, based on a question that he's asked, he, he has a couple parables in this little teaching. He has a pr some prophecy that he's going to make about the future. And, and intermixed in there, he, he uses a style of communication that's very similar to what's called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature. We see apocalyptic literature in the book of Revelation. We see it in, in some visions that Daniel had in the book of Daniel. And apocalyptic detail, uh, literature is, is like a parable in so many ways. It, it serves to illustrate something that's going to happen, to give some deeper meaning to future events. But like a parable, not every single detail in apocalyptic literature has meaning. Um, and so this is where you get weird end times beliefs uh, or books or movies in our current culture. Uh, apocalyptic literature, what it, what it really serves to do is to visually give us a picture, to visually clarify good and evil. And the reason it does that is to enable us, the, the people that would read it, that would hear it, to enable us to live right, to have a better life today. So it points forward with this, with this interesting imagery so that we might live right today. And so in the words we're about to read, that, I'm just going to preface it, that's what Jesus wants. This is a difficult teaching. There's a lot of mixed things in there. Again, prophecy, apocalyptic literature, parables. But in the midst of all that, it is very clear that Jesus has one thing in mind. The, the right living of his people. So with that uh, said, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 13. The, the title, kind of overarching title, is Letting the End Define Our Today. And here's the thing, church. 
We're going to read an entire chapter of the Bible together this morning. Is that okay? Okay. All right. We're going to read it together. It's not going to be on the screen because um, I don't want to keep clicking buttons. Okay. I'm just lazy. Uh, I also want you to open your Bible. So Mark chapter 13, if you don't have a Bible, the Bible's in front of you. You can shortcut it to page 872. If you have a Bible app, it should be even easier to find. Okay, so here's the setting, right? Jesus and his disciples, they've been in the temple. And verse 1, chapter 13 says this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, what do they want to know? Tell us. Tell us when these things will happen. And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? They want to know the future. Jesus answers them saying, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one go on the housetop, go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord did not cut short those days, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear before signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So, be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. We'll pause there for a moment. So the disciples are walking out of the temple and they're just admiring this beautiful temple. Now I don't know if you remember, but the person that built this temple, this is actually the second temple. This is not Solomon's temple. The person that built this temple was King Herod himself, not even a Jew, not even a believer. But he built it and it was impressive and it was beautiful and it was the center of the Jewish world and worship and society and culture. It personified the heart of the Jewish people. So the, Jesus and his disciples are walking out and they're saying, isn't this beautiful? I, I think about what's the, the closest equivalent to that in Seattle. 
And, and I think probably it's when we say the mountain is out, right? The mountain's always out, but when, when, when can we see it? When can we see it? The mountain is out. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. No matter how many times you've seen Mount Rainier in all its glory, it is amazing. And so the disciples, they're making this kind of similar observation. And as they leave, Jesus then makes a prediction to them. Just so you know, it's all going to come down. We have a sense of that about our mountain, too. If you've ever driven, like, through Puyallup, and they've got volcano eruption, you know, route or evacuation route. I remember my kids asking about that for the first time. I had to explain that mountain might not be there forever. <laughs> Aren't you glad we live in Renton? <laughs> <laughs> So Jesus makes this prediction. One day, it's all going to come down. And of course, the disciples, just like I did as a kid, they want to know how. They want to know when. What is it going to look like? And so Jesus answers them. Jesus makes a prediction. He makes a prediction about how and when this temple is going to come down. And that's what we just read. About 40 years later, after Jesus made this prediction, between the years of 66 and 70 A.D., there would be a Jewish rebellion against Rome. Remember, the Jews are an occupied land. They, they, they are oppressed by the Roman Empire. They are ruled by the Roman Empire. And so there would be this rebellion against Rome, and Rome would stomp it out. And eventually the temple in this rebellion, was lit on fire and destroyed, along with thousands of people who thought that it would offer them some sort of protection. Thousands, over 6,000 estimated, would die in that temple. But that's not counting the hundreds of thousands who had already died in the years leading up to the destruction of the temple. Some historians estimate up to a million Jews were killed in that particular rebellion. So Jesus actually predicts that rebellion before it would happen. What Jesus predicts sounds a lot like the end of the world, doesn't it? It does, but it's not. The temple may be destroyed, but the world wouldn't be. Hardship will happen, but Christianity will spread as a result. What did Jesus say? And the gospel will be preached to all the nations. So as Jesus continues to talk, it now looks, this is the confusing part, it now looks like he's looking past the future destruction in Jerusalem to the time where he himself will one day return. Let's continue reading. Verse 24 says, but in those days, and here's the key, following that distress, following what happened in Jerusalem, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. He's quoting Isaiah here. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. 
It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now, because of the way Jesus weaves parables like the fig tree and the landlord, prophecy and apocalyptic language into his teaching, it can be a little bit unclear at times when he is talking about the destruction of the temple and the rebellion in Jerusalem and when he's talking about his second coming. And uh, there's scholars debate. Some, some say, well, he's weaving the end, his second coming in through the whole way. He's going back and forth. It's clearly delineated. And so most folks, when they approach Mark 13, they try to wring it out for all it's worth to answer the question, what will the future look like? What will the future look like? That's what we want to know. That's what his disciples wanted to know. But here's the thing. Jesus was way more concerned about them knowing how to live during that time than he was about telling them all the details of how the future was going to unfold. Why is that? I I would say if, if you would have given a young Andrew his picture of the future, you know what I would have done? I would have said, cool, I'll wait for it. I would have done nothing. (laughs) I would have said, someday that's going to happen. I'm just going to sit here and relax until it happens. That's the danger of knowing the future, and that's why none of us know it. (laughs) And so Jesus was more concerned, even though he did give them clues and signs and things to watch for about how they would live now. And we know this is the case because his primary concern, the primary information that he gave throughout Mark chapter 13, is for their preparation. Their preparation for how to live. Let's look at this real briefly. Mark chapter, or verse 1, it shows, he he warns them to watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 5. Verse 2, he says, be on your guard and be ready for suffering. Verse 23, he says, be on your guard against false messiahs and prophets. Verse 4, he says, be on guard, be alert, keep working. And then he ends in verse 36 to everybody to keep watch. So while a lot of the details about how everything is going to go down aren't super clear, what is clear is that he wants what he wants everyone to do. As you live out your life, your faith, be watchful and be prepared. You know what? I have to think that the reason these instructions were preserved for us to read today is because they are a timeless truth for the church. They're a timeless truth for the church. There are going to be, there have been times in our country and in the countries maybe that you come from, whether it be East Africa or East Asia or South America, where there have been rebellions much like what happened in Jerusalem. How do Christians behave in the midst of social upheaval? So I think these are timeless truths. But then the the other thing that is very real is we know Jesus is going to return someday. And so how do we live with the end in mind? How do we let his return affect our today? This is a healthy way to approach what we call the end times. The unhealthy way is to hypothesize every little detail, to write absurd books or make absurd movies about it that don't focus on how we are to live today. 
what God is calling us to do. So briefly, just as we have considered what we read, let's look at these timeless truths for today. The first one is watch out for false teaching. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Now, I personally have never met anyone who's claimed to be Jesus. Well, okay, one, one time we were doing some street ministry. There was a guy that was not quite there, claimed to be Jesus. But other than that, I, I, I have not heard anybody say, I am Jesus. But I have certainly heard from a lot of people who claim to represent Jesus, who claim to speak for Jesus, but they are clearly liars. There's no doubt about it. And historically, we've, we've got folks in our American culture that have done this. We've got a guy named Joseph Smith who said that Jesus came back a second time, uh, and he came to America, and he began to preach to the Native Americans, and he, he gave me these gold tablets, and they have new truth, new revelation. Listen to me, I've heard from Jesus. Joseph Smith, the creator of what we call Mormonism. A, a, the lying and deceitful religion. We've got a guy named Charles Taze Russell. Some of you have heard of, maybe not heard of him, but you've heard of what's called the Jehovah's Witnesses who are very focused on the end times, very focused. You often see them, we see them out in front of the library with pamphlets. And what Charles Taze Russell uh, um, believed is that Jesus was, was real, but he wasn't God. And he has a new translation of the Bible called the New World Translation. Just read that and all will be clear. And Charles Taze Russell at one point made a prediction when Jesus would come back. And so the, the ranks of Jehovah's Witnesses swelled in anticipation of Jesus' return. And when he didn't come back, they shrunk. <laughs> and he revised his prophecy to another prophecy, and Jesus didn't come back. He did this three or four times, and eventually said, he did come back, we just didn't see it. And those that are remaining, they're the select. He made this stuff up. So I've never met somebody who claims to be Jesus, but I've certainly, and you've certainly, been around folks that claim to speak for Jesus. And maybe less impactful than some of these kind of Christian cult leaders, uh, but still dangerous. We sometimes have people in the church who claim to have a word from God. And they will use the name of Jesus to manipulate folks for their own personal gain. And so Jesus' warning from 2,000 years ago echoes to our church today. Watch out. Watch out for false teaching. Don't be deceived. And Jesus follows this first warning up with, really, with three areas to be on guard about. He says, watch at the beginning, watch at the end, and in between, he uses a similar phrasing, be on guard or be alert. The second thing he says, be ready. Be ready for suffering. He says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. If you've read the rest of your Bible past Mark, you know this to be true. The followers of Jesus would be handed over, would be beaten just like Jesus, would be killed for their faith. And Jesus continues, On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And so we see this in the early church. We see this when Jesus shared this with his disciples. He was warning them of a very real persecution that would happen. So we see it played out in the early church as it's recorded, but it's still playing out today. 
the most persecuted group of people in our world, this is not a debatable, this is not me slanting the data, is Christians. Christians are the most, the single most persecuted group of people in the world. It's happening right now continually between a a Muslim extremist group in Nigeria called Boko Haram and the Christians in Nigeria. Their churches, their homes are being raided. Children are are being kidnapped and killed. It's happening in countries, and has been for some time, countries of China and North Korea. I sat with a pastor, a Chinese pastor, who was visibly crippled because of the beating he had taken as a house church leader right before the Olympics in 2008. So believers were, would be persecuted after this warning that Jesus gave, and they continue to be persecuted for their faith today. Be ready. If you are all in on Jesus, be ready for suffering. The other warning is be alert for false messiahs and prophets. Jesus says, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. We could say, if possible, even you and me and you. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Now, when Jesus shared this with with the disciples, he was warning them of a very real insurrection that was about to happen in their country. Well, I already mentioned earlier that how the fall of the temple happened between 66 and 70 AD. Well, that kind of revolution or insurrection against the Romans was led by an extremist group called Zealots who pushed back against what they saw as various Roman violations of their faith and their practice. These would be the the hyper, hyper, hyper religious conservative folks. And eventually, this pushback of the zealots against Roman rule would lead to a small revolt, kind of regionally up north of Jerusalem. And then a bigger revolt. And then that revolt, as it was quashed, as it was squashed by the Roman uh, army, Many of those zealots fled south to Jerusalem, continuing to stir people up. And what happened was these, these religious zealots, they began to, to talk to people and say, hey, are you in? Like, we got to fight Rome. We got to do these things. We got to push them out. And if you weren't in, then you are now their enemy. And so when Jesus says, predicts, predicts that brother against brother, the children will rebel against their parents. It was this division, really very politically oriented division that was happening in the culture. And so what happened was almost as many, historians believe, almost as many Jews were killed by other Jews than they were by Romans during this time. If you're not for us, you're against us. Moderate Jews who knew that standing against Rome was only going to lead to destruction were then persecuted by their own people, the Zealots. So while we know as believers the Messiah to be Jesus, and we think of his rule and reign in spiritual terms, we know that Jesus first brings liberty and freedom to us spiritually. The false Messiah or the Antichrist that Jesus is mentioning would present themselves as the true center of hope for the nation of Israel. They would claim to be the one that could satisfy the nation's needs, heal its brokenness, restore its peace and prosperity. And so just as Jesus predicted, these types of folks, these revolutionaries, 
these false messiahs, they would be the reason the temple would burn and the Jewish people would scatter. So be on your guard, Jesus says. You know, the same spirits of the false messiah, of the Antichrist, are still at work today. In our day, it can look like false promises or predictions surrounding political policies or elections. Whenever an individual centers themselves as the hope for a nation, we are hearing the same rhetoric of a false messiah that happened 2,000 years ago. It can look like folks coming up with new or never-before-seen Christian truth. Can you believe, after thousands of years of reading the Bible, nobody's ever seen this? Let me show you something that nobody else has ever seen. False hope, false teaching, false messiah. No political leader or individual of any sort can accomplish what the Spirit of God can. Amen? Man, we need to be reminded of that just as much today. The fourth thing that Jesus warns in verse 33 is to be alert and keep working. Be alert and keep working. He tells this parable. And, you know, I think, again, as I mentioned earlier, one of the dangers of knowing the future is you just sit back and wait for it to happen. And so some, some Christians say, hey, well, we're just going to withdraw from society because eventually everything's going to get crazy and Jesus is going to return, so we'll just let him do his thing. We'll, we'll move to a, 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 mount, a house in the mountain. We'll, we'll flee to, to a more conservative you know, state. We'll, we'll go where, where it's easier for us until Jesus comes back. One of the dangers of knowing the future is just not doing anything. But Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He says, uh, sorry, I thought I had this up there, but he says in verse 33, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He says, be on guard, be alert. Be on guard, be alert. What he, this parable that he gives is of somebody who is working for somebody else, and they continue to do what they are supposed to do. They continue to work. And this is a pretty consistent theme that God gives to his people. In, in Jeremiah uh, the people were oppressed by Babylon at that time, not by Rome. God says to his people, hey, plant fields, get married, build houses. I know you're oppressed of the Babylonians, but you can still do these things, so still do these things. Bless the people in your city. That's one of our hearts, right? As much chaos and sadness and political discord that we see, we don't withdraw from society. We try and bless society. So God speaks this to Jeremiah. In Nehemiah, as they're rebuilding the walls of the city, Nehemiah says, hey, you have a tool in one hand and you have a sword in the other. You build, but you be ready. Be ready for what may come. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he's speaking to the church, and he says, what are some of you doing? Yes, Jesus is going to come back, but don't stop. Don't stop working. Don't stop um, Sharing the gospel with people. Don't stop living your life. Use what God has called you to do and you do it for his glory. So this is Jesus' heart for us to live with the end in mind. And then he ends with this. He says, what I say to you, verse 36, I say to everyone, watch. Watch. You know, we live in a day not of watchfulness, but of complacency. We're easily led by social movements, by political power, 
and cultural values that are in no way in line with the ways of Jesus. We've got alcohol and anxiety, drug abuse and suicide at all-time highs. Americans are more depressed, overweight, and isolated than any group of people in history. We build bigger houses with no backyards because who wants to go outside when you can sit in front of a screen? We are short-tempered, we're controlled by our phones, and we're constantly looking for an upgrade. New car, new phone, new spouse, new job. What will make me feel better? Who cares about the future? I want to feel good now. Or you know what? I just want to feel nothing at all. Keep me in front of a screen. Keep me medicated. Jesus tells us to watch, but far too many American Christians can only think about themselves. You know, shortly after this teaching, the disciples would watch. They'd watch Jesus get arrested. They'd watch him get beaten and tortured. They'd watch him get hung on a cross and killed. But as horrific as that day would be, that wasn't the end. Three days later, later Jesus would rise. He would do the impossible. He would overcome death. His suffering, his persecution, his death would secure a hope for us that would change the history of the world. And it's still being felt today. Because since that time, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, has been and is being preached to all the world. No persecution can stop it. No cultural movements can slow it down. This good news brings hope to every culture that's lost in its own power struggles. Because it points us to the only ruler who is truly good, God himself. This good news brings peace to every culture that has medicated itself into complacency because it points us to the truth that we are not a cosmic accident spinning around in some sort of massive galaxy, but we are purposefully and wonderfully made by a loving God. This good news gives us confidence that Every person who has experienced evil and injustice in their lives will have a front row seat to when Jesus returns and makes everything right. True justice. And so as Jesus promised in the midst of this message that he's giving to his disciples, he says, at that time when he returns... People will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is what you have to look forward to. A front row seat to the glory and power of Jesus making all things right. And so we ask this question today. How can you know that you will be a part of this? How can you know that despite the challenges and suffering and brokenness that you will and we have experienced in this life, that one day we'll get that front row seat to Jesus making all things new? How can you know? How can you know? Is it based on how much you read the Bible? 
how good you are. Oh, I hope my good outweighs my bad. I don't know who's keeping those scales. Are you keeping track? Do you have a journal? Today, I did three good things and only two bad things. Whew. That sounds exhausting and impossible, doesn't it? How can you know that you're part of the elect? I go to church three out of four Sundays. I served at the community barbecue yesterday. No, there's one way that you can know that you'd be a part of the elect if you believe in Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. What does that call denote? It means that I, my hope, my trust, my confidence is in Jesus alone. He alone is the Messiah. He alone has the words of truth. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. So church, let's let the end define our today. Let's trust that Jesus, who made, this, made prediction after prediction about what would happen and fulfilled those predictions, Let's trust that when he says he's going to come back and do this thing, that he will. Let's let that define our day. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our social and cultural upheaval, in the midst of our own apathy and complacency, let's let the good end of Jesus define today. Amen? We're going to end with prayer today. So would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, we need hope. We need real hope, not political or policy hope, not debt forgiveness hope, not my future occupation hope. We need the hope that only comes from the one who made us, and that's you. That we are on purpose, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that, you, that when you call us according to your purposes, those purposes will happen. We know the only one that has that kind of power and authority is you. And so we stand in the promises of your prophecy, of your predictions, that those who have placed their faith in you will be one day vindicated, one day see ultimate justice and have peace, one day be with you in the new heavens and the new earth. And so as we go from here, Father, may we be a church that lives with the end in mind. We can endure suffering and persecution. We can go through heartache and troubles because we know that this is not the end. Our end is with you in heaven. And so, Father, as we go, may we be that kind of church that has its confidence in you. Wake us up, Father. Allow us to recognize the false teachings and messiahs in our own life that we've given ourselves to you and to turn anew to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said... You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.